Welcome to your go-to source for entertainment. Wait for it? Gaming? Wait for it? Anime? Plus Ultra! Mr. Eric Almighty and Phil the Filipino? Yeah, they've got you covered. And all you gotta do is wait for it. This is the Wait For It Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Wait For It Podcast and welcome to the April edition of Illuminati Fan Theories. I am your co-host, Phil Smith, aka Vela Filipino. Welcome to any brand new or returning listeners. For those of you that are unfamiliar with the Filuminati Fan Theory series, it's a series in which I will take some of the most interesting and wild fan theories found on specifically Reddit. Sometimes I'll outsource elsewhere, but most of these are from Reddit. And if you ever feel like reading up on them yourselves, they are always linked in the show notes. Hope you guys have been enjoying all of our content. It's wild to think that we are already in April. Eric and I have a crazy amount of content planned for the rest of the month and the rest of the year. I mean, we've got more convention appearances. We have a bunch of movies and television shows that are going to be coming out. It's going to be a really, really busy year. I can't wait. And as always, make sure you stick around to the end of the episode and I'll let you know where you can find all the rest of our content. But let's go ahead and dive right into this here. I've got a good variety of theories this month, including a couple from the MCU. So we're going to head back to Marvel. But let's start off with Glass Onion, which I did one maybe like a couple of months ago. I'm trying to remember. But if you haven't seen this movie, I did a review on it for Netflix and Phil. saw it back in December. And it was really, really good. I'm really enjoying the Knives Out series. And I can't wait to see what the third installment brings. But obviously, this one is dependent on whether or not you have seen the film. So let's go ahead and kick it off with this one. And this theory is addressing what the mysterious throat spray really was. This is from Reddit user Hoi Kuniho. It says the setting of the movie is clearly during the middle of the pandemic. Social distancing, Among Us, remote meetings, and cloth masks. Before the main cast boards the boat to take them to the island, Miles' Mr. Man in white uses a mysterious device that sprays high-pressure mist in the throats of each guest. And everyone is told they don't need to put on their masks. They're quote-unquote good. Blanc asks if this is some sort of disinfectant without reply. Upon viewing the initial scene, it's implied this is some sort of oral COVID vaccine that takes immediate effect. Miles could have created this with his bottomless wealth and access to the best biotech money can buy. Movie-wise, it's a convenient explanation for why the main cast doesn't have to wear masks for the rest of the movie. This device does beg a few questions. One, how can a miracle spray like this be created so quickly? Two, how can something like this be administered orally and take effect so quickly? And three, if this works, why hasn't this been released to the public? There are a few different explanations. Spray vaccines are not necessarily in the realm of fantasy, with trials ongoing for COVID-19. In addition, medical jet injectors, similar in appearance to the device in Glass Onion, were a common method for delivering vaccines, albeit subcutaneously. And it's not unheard of for some vaccines to take into effect one to two days after last administering a dose. Also, maybe this is not administered to the public because it needs FDA approval or there is no way to mass produce it at the moment. However, there is a simpler explanation for this, which is the miracle COVID immunity spray is nothing but a bullshit placebo. I 100% believe that Miles thinks that this works, that he paid some scientists to hastily put this together, but it absolutely wasn't vetted and is in no way effective. As we've seen with the solid hydrogen idea, Miles will not hesitate to push something that is unvalidated despite concerns from peers. He's the facade of an effective idiot disguised as a misunderstood genius. It's so dumb. Oh, it's so dumb, it's brilliant. No! 
It's just dumb. The spray helps with the movie plot in a few ways. One, it produces a universe plot device why there are no masks needed on the island. Two, it gives reason for Duke to foreshadow the audience that, quote, Duke don't dance with pineapple. And just like Miles, the spray is perceived initially as mysterious yet genius by the audience, but is later revealed to be idiotic. I just love the continuous unraveling of this character because he is such a piece of shit. And I really think this one is 100% valid. Even with all the money in the world, he wouldn't have been able to develop anything like this this quickly <laughs> within the right in the middle of the pandemic. So I give this one pretty solid validity. Let's get to the next theory here as we head to the world of Frozen. And user VLJ914 thinks that Elsa could be dead at the end of Frozen 2. They state she freezes, Olaf disappears, Anna does the next right thing until the dam is destroyed and the forest is restored, re-enter Elsa looking different. In conversation with Anna, she allows Anna to make the connection that she is the fifth spirit. Kristoff comments she looks different, did you cut your hair or something? Elsa smirks and replies, or something. She's alluding to her death and the fact that she is now a spirit of the forest. Anna becomes queen not only because she's the right thing for Arendelle, but because Elsa cannot be queen because she's connected to the forest now as the fifth spirit. Surely, Elsa would have been at Anna's coronation ceremony, but she couldn't leave the forest. They communicated via the butterfly instead, passing on messages. They are the two sides of the bridge. Anna is the human world, and Elsa is the spirit world. Elsa is dead. Really quick one here, and honestly, I thought about skipping this one when I was going through theories, but then I went to the comments, and this one from Mr. William states, to add to this, the melody that haunts her throughout the movie is literally just the Dies Irae motif. Composers use these specific four notes in this order to foreshadow and symbolize death all the fucking time. It's all over Nightmare Before Christmas. It's in Home Alone whenever Old Man Marley creeps up. It's in The Lion King when Scar sends hyenas after Simba. And the opening of The Shining has a score that's dripping wet with DS Irae. God, I thought we would get through an episode without talking about The Shining. Uh, once you know, you know. It's like the Wilhelm scream of music theory. Elsa literally refers to the motif as a siren, which is leading her into the unknown. The siren song was said to lure people to their death. Fits perfectly with this theory. Now, I'm not sure I fully buy into this one, mostly because there's definitely going to be a Frozen 3 at some point. Um, but somebody, you know, some people were pointing out that this was better maybe as an allegory for death rather than her actually dying, which I think is what is at play here. Maybe the death of Elsa's former life and the rebirth of her new life as one of the spirits of the forest. But again, theories like this is why I do this series, because there's, there's a lot of room for interpretation. You know, it's always fun to kind of expand on the franchises that we love. And let's move into the MCU here for the final two. This one is from Reddit user Please Don't Bing Me, and it states that the Illuminati did not make a dumb move by attacking the Scarlet Witch. In the scene where 616 Wanda is confronted by the 838 Illuminati, it has been generally laughed off at how the smartest man in the world, Reed Richards, attacks Wanda with a limp stretch arm even after watching her seal Black Bolt's mouth, causing his death. We then see Richards shredded like string cheese. I pose that this wasn't a dumb move, but one more completely in character for Reed Richards. Richards isn't attacking an unknown entity. At first, when Strange pleads with the Illuminati to release him so he can help stop 616 Wanda, the response is of arrogance. I believe something to the effect of, we can handle your witch, was said. This was due to 838's information on the multiverse already led by Dr. Palmer at Baxter. Although the multiverse is relatively new to us here in the 616 MCU, my guess is 838 has years and mountains of data on the other universes. 
Additionally, 838's Wanda has some powers as we see her levitate back to the gate after 616 stops dreamwalking her. But I pose that because we see basically zero defense of her children when 616 Wanda invades her home, that she knows she is massively outgunned power-wise. My theory is that most of the other Wandas are never captured by Hydra and exposed to Loki's spear. This is the event that charges up her abilities. Most Wandas are very low-level mutants with limited powers. Richards knew all of this and acted abruptly and rashly to try and stop the fight quickly after seeing Black Bolt die. Richards' problem wasn't that he was acting dumb, it was that he had a bunch of information telling him Wanda was not powerful. A few of the comments in support of this, this one's from Mega Smiley's, this actually makes a lot of sense. The Scarlet Witch power is a Nexus event, so 616 Wanda is the only Wanda to have it. Makes sense that they'd have kept tabs on 818 Wanda and thought, eh, she's just a red flashlight. And honestly, just a little bit of added dialogue would turn this from theory to fact if the Illuminati just kind of acknowledged that she was stronger than you know any of the other Wandas they had seen. This one's not bad. I think this one is more of trying to explain away the stupidity of the, the Illuminati in the movie, but also it just kind of brings to light how just messy Multiverse of Madness was. Gosh, I don't even want to get back into it. <laughs> But for the final one, let's get back to Marvel and the MCU. And this one actually involves both No Way Home as well as Spider-Man 2, the Sam Raimi version. Reddit user Skyflakes101 says that No Way Home affected the ending of Spider-Man 2, more specifically Doc Ock. Basically, in the end, Doc Ock was about to crush Toby Peter's neck, but he gave him a speech about doing the right thing, causing Doc Ock to have a change of heart and sacrifice himself. However, I sort of found it odd that Otto was able to have such a sudden change of heart, especially since his mind was being controlled by the arms. But if we recall in No Way Home, Otto says that he recalls the exact moment he vanished from his timeline, that when Spider-Man was trying to stop his fusion reactor, he had him by the throat before he vanished to this new timeline. So it's safe to assume that since this was the moment he left, it was also the moment he was taken back to. Recalling from No Way Home, Tom's Peter was able to create and give a cure for Otto to be himself again, This explains why Otto had such a sudden change of heart in the end of Spider-Man 2, because in a very brief moment during a scene, he traveled to Tom's universe and received a cure for himself. You can also kind of see when this happens if you watch the movie closely. When Otto had Tobey Maguire's Peter by the throat, you can see when his face expression suddenly changed. Perhaps this was the moment he left to Tom's universe and came back. This is one where it's just like inconsequential and we're just like, yeah, that works. Why not? Because as one Reddit user pointed out, that No Way Home becomes a dramatization of Doc's change of heart. So why not? I think this is one we should just adapt. You know, just like we have just all accepted that Tom Holland's Spider-Man was in Iron Man 2 or whatever. (laughs) So this one I really enjoy. Doesn't affect anybody. Doesn't really hurt anything. It's not like wild or outlandish. Let's just roll with it. But yeah, everybody, those are the four fan theories I wanted to share here this month. I hope you guys are continuing to enjoy the series and the numbers say that you are. So I really, really appreciate all of the support. If there's like a specific franchise or anything you'd like me to cover and try to find some theories, let me know, you know, either reach out to us on social media, or if you'd like to even support us a little bit more, make sure to join our Patreon for a bunch of bonus content. All that can be found in the show notes of this episode. Just click that Linktree link. But yeah, everybody, make sure you come back here this Wednesday and join me for the April edition of Netflix and Phil. I will be talking about the highly, highly praised Netflix film, The Gray Man. That is right. I am doing actual Netflix property for Netflix and Phil for once. So make sure you come back and check that out, as well as the rest of our content for the remainder of the month. I'm your co-host, Phil Smith, aka Phil the Filipino. Thanks for joining me here today. And do not forget, we release new episodes every Monday and Wednesday. And all you got to do is wait for it. So, I heard you're looking for a go-to source for entertainment. Wait for it. 
Gaming? Wait for it! Anime? Plus Ultra! Mr. Eric Almighty and Phil the Filipino? Yeah, they've got you covered. And all you gotta do is... Wait for it. This is the Wait For It Podcast.